Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, GIFTED 21. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today we're chatting with Dr. Fred Bonner II, Professor and Endowed Chair in Educational Leadership and Counseling and Executive Director and Chief Scientist of the Mach 3 Center at Prairie View A&M University. He is formerly the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Endowed Chair in Education in the Graduate School of Education at Rutgers University and an esteemed expert in the field of diversity in education. Bonner has been the recipient of numerous awards and has authored several books, including Building on Resilience, Models and Frameworks of Black Male Success Across the P20 Pipeline, as well as the recently released Square Pegs and Round Holes, Alternative Approaches to Diverse College Student Development Theory. Dr. Bonner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Excited about being here. Yes, glad to have you. Uh, and at Gift Ed 21 this year, you're presenting on the powerful idea of belonging. Uh, how has your experience defined the importance of belonging to enable you to reach such distinguished success? You know, that's a great question. And um, I learned very early on that it's so very important for me as an African-American male to learn how to invite myself to the party. Hmm. So, so often, folks who look like me we are sometimes either made to feel like or we internally feel like we just don't belong or we don't fit in. Mm. So I learned very early on that, you know, you kind of have to get past that hurdle and just invite yourself to the party. So I found, luckily I had parents, I had teachers, I had folks that told me that, you know, you should be at these tables, you should be in these sessions, you do belong. And luckily my, you know, my gifts and talents and things that I was able to do academically allowed me to, um, break down some barriers, move into spaces where, you know, many times they, you know, didn't necessarily think like, you know, I should be here, but my uh, gifts and talents sometimes got me into places that I probably wouldn't have felt like I belonged beforehand. That's powerful, and I, I would love to hear more about your journey with, um, uh, as a child and kind of moving through educationally. What, what was that like for you? What was your experience? You know, I was very, very blessed. I had uh, parents who were educators. So I had a mom and a dad. So my mom was an undergrad at um, Prairie View A&M University. She got her master's at Prairie View A&M University. My dad received his undergrad degree from Paul Quinn College. At that time, it was in Waco, Texas. It has since now moved here to Dallas. So he got his master's degree at uh, Prairie View A&M as well. And oddly enough, I had a grandmother who graduated from Bishop College. So a pretty long-standing tradition of family, community members who really valued education. And oddly enough, my father was my high school assistant principal. Oh, wow. <laughs> and my mom was a teacher there in the same school. <laughs> <laughs> was that a welcomed dynamic uh, for you? <laughs> Luckily, the students really loved both of my parents. My dad was uh, the first African-American athletic director in all of East Texas. Wow. So I'm from a small town in East Texas, Jefferson, Texas. And my mom actually, she coached all girls sports. So volleyball, basketball, track. So 
it helped that, you know, my parents were somewhat beloved by the community. So beloved and being a great advocate, not only for you, but for mm-hmm. other students, I'm sure that had a, a great impact on you. Absolutely. It's just like I had so many extended family men- members, brothers and sisters, folks who my parents had taught and trained over the years. Mm-hmm. So do you think that sort of support that you've kind of known from your family from growing up, has that impacted maybe the why behind some of the work that you're doing now? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's part of the why. And also part of me wanting to tell a very different story because connected to that. So you hear the stories, you know, that deficit model, that black males are not successful. They're not doing well. They're not achieving. They're going to prison. They're not, they're not, they're not. So that was not my experience. You know, I just shared with you, you know, having my parents and folks who were very much into education, into higher education. So I said, well, you know, these stories that are coming out, coming through the media about black males, you know, with black males and handcuffs, you know, you know, here in front of a police car, that has totally not been my experience. So let me start to foreground and tell a different story, a different narrative about these brothers out there who are like me, and it's a bunch of them out there who are doing well academically, who have parents who invested in their learning, you know, who come from backgrounds that have, you know, parents have resources. It doesn't just mean that you have to be a Cosby kid or a father who's a doctor or a mom who's a lawyer who comes from Brooklyn or these urban centers. I am from rural East Texas, but I had parents who were educated who pushed pushed education. Mm. So my whole sense was I wanted to tell a very different narrative, an asset-based narrative as opposed to a deficit-based narrative. I think that message is really going to be powerful to our listeners. And, and not only is that something that, uh, that, that, that you personally are invested in, but you're also kind of, uh, you've got different things going on to promote this as well. And I know you're working with uh, Dr. Matt Fugate, who we talked to. Uh, you're working on projects to increase the number of black and brown male educators. Can you tell us a little bit more about those projects and uh, what got you started with those? Sure, absolutely. Great question. And Matt is a superstar, great guy, and it's good to have him right there in the backyard in Houston, so. And the project, one of my most recent projects is is a BMST, Black Male STEM Teach 360. Mm -hmm. And what BMST is, it's an initiative, it's actually a grant that I secured through my Mach 3 Center to focus on getting more black males into teaching STEM in the middle school setting. So, and I really truly believe, I firmly believe what convinced Kellogg to give us, grant us that $1.5 million is the narrative that we told. The narrative, when you look at HISD, HISD is the fourth largest school district in this whole country. So when you look at the numbers, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but I'll get close. So when you uh, look at the numbers, black teachers in HISD, somewhere around, let's say, 3,500. Then when you look at the number of uh, black teachers, 3,500. Black male teachers, it drops down to, let's say, 1,200 or so. Then when you say black male STEM teachers in the middle school context, it drops down to nine. Wow. Wow. Why do you think that is? So I think a lot of reasons. Having access to a rigorous curriculum in the K-12 level. You have a lot of schools where these black males, black and brown males, they're going to these high schools, they're going to these middle schools where, you know, they're great teachers in these places, but a lot of those teachers, some are not certified in math and science in those areas. 
some of those schools don't have resources to uh, get to get students into some of the advanced placement courses, uh, international baccalaureate. So in my presentation that I had this morning, I always talk about, so we so often get our ease twisted. Equity and equality are two different things. So there are so many times that we want to say we're going to give equal resources. But if you're giving equal resources to inequitable situations, you're not making any advancements. Mm. So I think that to say that black males have the same access and opportunities in STEM to go into STEM careers, to STEM teaching, that is absolutely not true. And so this program moves into that space and encourages Absolutely. them and builds them up in that, in that way. Absolutely. So the grant, the way that we're positioning the grant is that um, we're trying to get a cohort of 20 black males, and these black males will come into Prairie View A&M University's Alternative Teacher Certification Program, the ATCP program. So Mach 3 gets them in through ATCP, you need to have a bachelor's degree or at least 15 hours in math and science. So you don't necessarily have to come from a STEM background, but we got to get you the uh, math and science where you can be prepared to pass the certification exam. But going through the program, all of the courses that you would take in alternative certification, we pay for. All of the training that you would take for alternative certification, we pay for. And what I think makes BMST very unique you're going to go through the normal curriculum that you would have for an ATCP program, but we're also going to layer in that culturally specific mm-hmm. pedagogy. Because if you are a black male teaching in these low SES schools, schools serving underserved populations, you not only need to know math and science, but you need some cultural loading, some cultural understandings to know what it means to be a black male in STEM in these environments and what you're going to face when you get outside of these environments. Mm-hmm. So BMST, I think the, um, the core of what we're doing, what makes us unique is that not only are we taking these black males through this program, not only are we paying for all of their training, and when you successfully complete, it's a two-year cycle, year one, after year one, you get to go into a school and actually start making money, mm-hmm. and you was, when you successfully complete the program, there's a $2,000 stipend. Wow. So not only are you equipping them uh, but you're preparing them to kind of transition into the workforce and be set to go and, and have a career. Absolutely. Because the Kellogg Foundation, they worked very, very closely with us when we were planning. They said one of the things that we know from our research is that a lot of black males, a lot of men in general, don't go into teaching because of the salaries. So we have to find some way to incentivize. You know, they. why would I choose to go into STEM teaching when I could take the STEM path in engineering, I get a sign-on bonus of $50,000, $60,000. So how can we sweeten the pot? You know, $2,000 is not a lot of money, but it's more than what they had, and, and you actually pay for everything. So we actually found some ways to incentivize going into teaching STEM. Right, which I'm sure is, is huge and, and, and helps. And, um, and also, as I'm listening to this, uh, a culturally, culturally responsive approach to equipping your teachers, I'm sure that encourages them as they go out to equip even more students to hopefully get involved in this field as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And the great thing is BMST is a grant project getting more black males into teaching STEM 
that comes from a historically black college and university context. Hmm. So I think that means something. So these folks are being trained in teacher education at a black college by instructors who understand what it means to be in a minority-serving context. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you've got, you've got several things going on here. You're having a huge impact. Tell us a little bit about Mach 3 and maybe the history there and how you um, have been a part of that. Sure, absolutely. So the Mach 3 Center and Mach 3 stands for Minority Achievement, Creativity, and High Ability. And basically, Mach 3 is an amalgamation of all of my research areas. So since I started this journey, I've always focused on academically gifted and talented African-American males. So I wanted to have a galvanizing space where I could foreground that research. And as fate would have it, so I was a faculty member at Texas A&M University and was recruited away to Rutgers University for the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Chair. And at that time at Prairie View A&M, one of my good friends, she was actually the provost there, and we had written a grant together. It was like a $1.5 million grant to NSF that looked at high-achieving black students in engineering. So she remembered, you know, well, you had such an investment in not only in what you were doing at A&M, but an investment in what we were doing here at Prairie View. Would you consider coming to Prairie View? And I was like, well, dear friend, I said, I'm here at Rutgers University of Research One, in this endowed chair, so I'm not quite sure I'm going to leave. She said, well, we can offer you an endowed chair. I said, I have an endowed chair, and actually what's considered to be the top endowed chair for African Americans in the country. Wow. She was like, well, let me go back to the powers that be. And she came back like a week later. She said, so the A&M system is really invested in bringing you back, so how about we can give you an endowed chair, and we can give you startup funds for your own research center to the tune of $5 million. And you can come here and just dream. So that was my nudge <laughs> <laughs> to come back to Texas, back into the AM system, and start the uh, Mach 3 Center there at Prairie View. And what I'm really excited about is there is no other research center in a historically black college and university context like Mach 3 out there in the country. Wow. That's great. And I feel like your journey, just, just as exemplified in what you just said, is such an encouragement to teachers who, uh, especially uh, black and brown male educators, too, to see you go through that, to know, oh, wow, I, there's some opportunities here. There are opportunities, absolutely yeah. opportunities. Um, well, great. Well, let's, uh, let's have a few other questions to sure. kind of speak more broadly to get to know you even better. Um, Let's start, let's start really broad. Who okay. is someone who has inspired you? And, and again, that could be within the gifted educational context or your, your journey or just more broadly. Who's inspired you? Good question. So, so many people, but I'll narrow it down to just a few. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say definitely my parents, um, mom, dad, father passed away some years ago. Mom is still living. She's in her 80s, but doing well. Um, parents, grandparents. On the education side, this journey started at Baylor University when I was a master's student in Dr. Susan Johnson's class. And I always tell the story, I, I completed this crude little paper titled, Which Institution is More Effective at Cultivating Giftedness Among African American Males? HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, or PWIs, Predominantly White Institutions? Now the paper I compared Baylor University, 
and Prairie View A&M University. So anybody that knows research, those institutions are not similar. The research was horrible. I didn't know what I was doing. But as all good mentors do, Dr. Johnson said, this is great. This is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't great. Wasn't wonderful. But she encouraged me. She said, you know what? This needs a little work. But when you move on to get your doctorate, I said, like, get my doctorate? I'm not. She said, yes. When you move on to get your doctorate, she said, I think this is the beginning of a very, very valuable research trajectory for you. I said, you think so? She said, I know so. She said, we'll see. Flash forward all these years later, that was the foundation for my entire career. Wow. So talking, uh, going back to the beginning of this podcast of uh, having a seat at the table and being invited into spaces, um, Mm -hmm. seems like she was very, uh, she was part of those voices in in bringing you to the table in that case. Absolutely. How powerful that is to have advocates. Powerful. And, you know, having her there at the begin, um, at the early phase of my career and also having a huge push-up by one of the legends in the field, another legend in the field, Dr. Donna Ford. So it was so interesting seeing another person who looked like me saying, look, you're doing good work, but you can do better work. And Dr. Ford, I will never forget my very first article, I sent it to her. I said, well, would you give me some feedback? She sent it back to me. She had written more than I had written. Oh, wow. <laughs> as far as the feedback, she said, this is not to discourage you. She said, this is learning. I'm here. I'm going to support you. And we're going to go from good to great. And along the way, she has helped me helped me improve so and now we co-author stuff together. She said, you remember that very first paper that I read? <laughs> and she said, I just didn't want you to be disheartened. She said, I was like, okay, Bonner, we're going to get it together. And all these years, I'm still trying to get it together. <laughs> and how great is it to get a lot of feedback as opposed to the other direction Absolutely. of having no feedback? Um, powerful, great relationships there. Uh, so a couple other questions here as we start to wrap up. Um, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. The best way to foster students' potential is? to believe that they have potential. So often, and I would say there are two different models out there that reify what I'm saying. My good friend, colleague, and fraternity brother, Dr. Gilman Whiting, he has his scholar identity model, and he says in his model that you first have to, before you can get black and brown males, particularly black males, to believe that they can be scholars, is that you have to believe that they can be scholars. So what do you believe about them? So that's his model, the scholar identity model. I have my model, uh, the academically gifted black male engagement model. And in my model, which really reinforced and supported my book, Building on Resilience. So I would start there. We need to build on the resilience that these black males have. And so often, we don't look for that, you know. There are some things that got them here, that got them to this place and space. And one of my very early, early decisions was to, I want to know more about that brother who comes from that side of the tracks, who comes from that family, who comes from that situation, that by all measures, he should not be successful. But he's sitting in your physics class with a 99.9 average. So we need to understand what he is doing. So how can we take his resilience, his potential, and spread that over everyone else because I say what you do for the least of these, I'm sure that you could spread over the rest and make them more successful. 
Well, we appreciate your resilience and your success and sharing uh, so much encouragement. How can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Absolutely. They can email me directly at F, F as in Fred, A as in Apple, F.A. Bonner at pvamu.edu. You can always jump on and Google me and uh, look at uh, what we're doing at the Mach 3 Center. If you put in Mach 3 Center, PVAMU, you can find us. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, thanks again for our guest today, Dr. Fred Bonner II. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association of the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Are you looking for online resources to fit your needs? Customize your professional development by selecting the courses that are most relevant to you using TAGT On Demand. Get course access and apply strategies in your classroom when you're ready. Take courses from home, work, or your favorite coffee shop any time of day. Visit TAGTOnDemand.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today we're chatting with Dr. Matt Fugate, Assistant Pref- Professor at University of Houston downtown. Dr. Fugate received his doctorate in Gifted, Creative, and Talented Studies at Purdue University. Prior to this, he worked as an elementary teacher in the Houston Independent School District, where he also served as a gifted coordinator and magnet coordinator. Dr. Fugate, uh, his past research has examined the relationship between working memory and levels of creativity in gifted students who have ADHD characteristics. He also examined the coping mechanisms of twice exceptional girls in secondary school as they navigate both their academic studies and interpersonal relationships. Dr. Fugate, glad to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, so we have a few questions for you. We'll jump in here, and uh, let's start with this. Uh, With a career that touches a wide variety of lanes that we described in gifted education, uh, things like creativity, curriculum compacting, identification, twice exceptionality, underserved populations, total school cluster grouping, you've done it all. Uh, What is it about gifted education that has captured your imagination and led to such a deep interest in this field and how it impacts students? Um, I, I love seeing what these kids can do. Uh, as a former classroom teacher, I, I often, uh, when, I, when I'm out talking with teachers and, and educators and, and researchers, you know, I talk about the student who really served as my muse, who, who really pulled me in. And, and this was a, a, a young, now a young man, he, you know, he's all grown up now. Uh, but he, he came into kindergarten, tested, I was gifted coordinator, tested, clearly, clearly gifted. Um, but as time went on, we started to really notice the struggles he was having, and and he was that that alpha, what Susan Baum calls that alphabet kid. You know, he had he had all the letters behind his name, um, and he really inspired me. I, I knew after working with him, I had to get into this more and know more, um, so that I could really help those those tw- especially those twice exceptional, thrice exceptional kids that are in our classrooms and often go unnoticed. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so it's a journey from working with this student as a teacher to a, a, a deep learning there and 
can I ask you what what got you started in terms of education? Tell us uh, uh, <laughs> did, a little bit about that journey. Um, so actually, education was the second career for me. Uh, I, I uh, was in the restaurant business, um, and I, I was at kind of a turning point in my career. And I came home one day, and I was kind of dragging my feet. And my husband looked at me and he said, "You know, all those years ago when we first met, you said you wanted to be a teacher. Go teach." Wow. And I did. <laughs> and I've never looked back since. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, that, that's amazing. And obviously, you've got a, an amazing resume of work. Um, you know, knowing that we have a lot of educators listening to this, uh, when it comes to some of the topics that you just talked about and some of what you're known for when it comes to creativity, uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with twice and thrice exceptional students, you know, what's a great starting point for, for educators listening that uh, are, and we could tackle both of those one at a time. Let's start with creativity. What's a starting point for teachers to get their feet wet with some of uh, what they can do in their classroom? I, I think um, really the, the starting point is to give yourself some grace. Mm. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes, especially, you know, in these last recent years, decades, we've been so focused on the test. Um, and with that, a lot of the creative thinking, the creativity has slowly seeped out of the classroom. Mm. And so I think a great starting point is to focus and reflect on your own teaching practices and think about how you can bring that creativity back into your own practice to create those learning experiences for your students that will open the doors for that creativity for them as well. So if, the, uh, if, if teachers are not participating in creative practices, it's going to be difficult to engage students with exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. We, we, you know, the teacher is the role model. One of the things I, I often remind my uh, pre-service teachers, my undergraduates, is uh, that uh, w- when you when you think it's not, they're not. Their eyes are on you, mm. um, and so we've constantly got to be modeling those behaviors for those students. And when it comes to twice exceptional, uh, what a what an important topic for gifted educators to know. Uh, what's maybe some encouragement uh, for teachers? Is there? Um, working to do that. And I'm sure it starts with a similar, similar place of grace. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also really to get to know your student's story, know who they are behind, beyond the walls of the classroom. Um, you know, these, these students come with rich experience, uh, and, and it's really understanding and, and, and shifting from that deficit perspective to more of a strength-based perspective, not what students can't do, but what they can do. That's the key, and recognizing that in all of our students. So uh, as we discussed earlier, you're, you're working in many fields within this field. Uh, you and uh, Dr. Fred Bonner are working on projects to increase the number of black and uh, Latinx male educators. Uh, can you tell us more about these projects and kind of what got y'all started with that? Um, so uh, this is... F- this has been a, a passion project of mine for a while. And um, so at University of Houston downtown, uh, I started working with the assistant dean of our college um, who, was, who had started at our university the Men of Legacy program that was focused on men of color uh, across all disciplines coming into the university. And after a while, we got uh, connected 
through the Houston Independent School District with Call Me Mr. program out of Clemson University. Uh, and so we were really excited to be named the first school in Texas to be part of the Call Me Mr. Coalition. And so we're going into high schools and working with and uh, these young men uh, and showing them the, the possibilities of, of moving into education and the important role that, that uh, they will play in the lives of students. And so it's been really, it's been a really positive experience. We did all this and started this uh, while, right at the same time that the pandemic started. So that was a great time to recruit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in our second year, we've got about 29 students in our uh, our cohorts uh, at various stages in the program. Uh, and it's been a, such an amazing, positive experience. And and these young men will have jobs waiting for them in their districts when they graduate. Oh, wow. Um, and so it, it's really about going, going and meeting these young men and, and talking to them, learning their story, and bringing them in, providing supports um, and brotherhood and fellowship. Uh, throughout their their university experience, and then them having the opportunity to go back into their communities and, and give back everything right. that was given to them. Yeah, that was one uh, another question I thought of as as you were saying that is kind of what's the vision as they kind of go back and and what's uh, what are they hoping to do and and maybe how can that be an encouragement to all of us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 just powerful, and I. I get joy every day of, of watching. I was talking to Fred earlier today and uh, uh, I was telling him uh, that we did a, a, a barbershop talk, our first barbershop talk, uh, and it was a panel of, of professionals and staff uh, uh, from around the university and the engagement that these young men had. And, and it wasn't about us talking, it was about us listening to them. Mm. They led those conversations, and it was really, really a powerful experience. Yeah, wow. Uh, what do you think, what are some of the barriers that are maybe happening to prevent some of these young men to get involved in the first place? And, and, and maybe what is that to where we could be on the look for for that? Um, we unfortunately uh, we have a lot of systemic barriers um, that have been put in place in education, uh, and, and it it varies. Uh, it, it's ex- access, um, it's feelings of inclusion for our our young men of color who are in gifted programs who are severely underidentified for those programs. We've got to get teachers involved. Um, I, I was talking with Colin Seal earlier and, and understanding the importance of uh, he's also got a great program that he's working on uh, in Arizona and with with a, a similar mission um, and, and understanding that the more teachers of color we can get in classrooms, the better chances that our students of color have of being recognized and identified, the talents that exist within those populations that have just gone dormant, like gone unrecognized for far too long. So if you're uh, an educator or an administrator in a district or a campus where where this program isn't, maybe that's a good starting point to reflect upon and move into. Yeah. Um, And and how do you think... uh, 
a program like this, an approach like this, how do you really think that this can transform a community in terms of some of the outcomes that'll come out of this? Um, I, I, I think that that idea of, of going back and, and giving to the community and part of that giving, that gift back to the community is an understanding that now you've got a teacher in a classroom who, it's going to go back to what I said earlier, who really knows the student's story mm-hmm. um, and, and has that relationship and, and can be that role model and say, yes, you, this, your life, I had that life. And, and, mm-hmm. and there, the bar- yes, there are barriers that exist, but there are ways to transcend those barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and serving as that role model in those communities to, to uh, our, our students. Well, I've got a few more questions here, a little bit broader, just to get to know you a little sure. bit better. And again, to be an encouragement <laughs> to other educators. But uh, uh, it's a pretty broad question. But who... Who's inspired you? And you can you can take that as a, a in terms of your personal journey sure. as an educator, uh, maybe a student. But uh, you talked about your muse earlier. But who's who's really inspired you? Um, okay, so this is going to sound uh, cheesy, I guess, but it's really uh, my PhD advisor, Marcia Gentry, um, at wow. Purdue. Um, and and I first met Marcia my first year of my master's program at the University of Connecticut. Um, and it was almost an instant bond. Um, and for several years after that, every, every summer we would be up there and she'd be like, you know, Matt, you really need to come to Purdue and, and, and do your PhD. And I was like, no. <laughs> and we, this back and forth would happen every year. And finally she looks at me and she says, why do you keep telling me no? This is a wonderful opportunity. I said, it snows in Indiana. I'm from Houston. <laughs> so she promised me, she said, okay, three snows. Cause you know, in Indiana, once it starts snowing, it doesn't stop until March. So she said three snows and I'll have you back in Houston. <laughs> I'm like, deal. <laughs> Wow, that's great. Marsha Gentry has been a huge inspiration yes. for you. That's yeah. great. Um, okay, another question for you, just to, sure. to get a feel. Of it. We're trying to ask these questions to everybody, and, and it's pretty interesting, but uh, fill in the blank. The best way to foster students' potential is blank. Listen. Listen to the, give them voice and listen, period. It certainly sounds like that's been a big part of every step along your personal journey. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there, you have you had people in your life? It sounds like Marsha might be one of those who, who've really echoed that idea. Um, yeah, and, and and I was I was blessed coming up through education, like uh, to have some really great role models of and colleagues within within my school, um, and I was lucky to. Uh, be in a school where the administration really fostered that creativity of teaching, um, that they were like, we're here to support you, not dictate to you how you teach, how, what the learning experiences you provide in the classroom, run with it. Uh, and so that, that, that was an amazing experience and, and really helped me understand the importance of story. So going back to something you talked about earlier, you know, promoting creativity by teachers being more creative and feeling comfortable with that. But that also starts with 
systems and administrators being open to that as well. And it sounds like that had a huge impact on you. Uh, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I was one of those lucky ones that, uh, you know, the first school I landed in was the school I stayed in until Marsha finally convinced me to go to Indiana <laughs> for three snows. Um, so <laughs> because, but it was, it was home. It was, it was a great place. Um, and like I said, the administration really supported the creativity of teaching. And guess what happens when you stop worrying about the test and you start getting creative with the learning experiences? The students do well on the test. You know, we get so caught up on teaching to the test that we forget about the learning. But I, I remind my, my undergraduates, I said, I promise you there's going to be a day when you're going to have a problem in your classroom and you're going to go to your administrator to discuss that problem. Here's one thing they are not going to do. Hand you a Scantron and say, choose A, B, C, or D, right? Mm-hmm. When, when we are faced with challenges, with problems, we have to be able to think about them not only critically but creatively. And we've got to teach our students to think that way. I, I think that's challenging, and it makes me think if we, we can have a student that can do great on a test yet not have the ability to think creatively, that seems like the opposite of what we want going into the real world. Exactly. Well, this has been a super encouraging conversation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? Uh, feel free to uh, email me anytime at fugatec at uhd.edu. Um, I'm also on Twitter at, at cmatthewfugate. So uh, very, very easy. Uh, love to hear from, from people from all over and share those wonderful experiences. Thanks again to our guest today, Dr. Matt Fugate. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at RenzuliLearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12, and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.